Hi, I'm Tom Melville. Welcome to Voice of Real Australia. Each episode we bring you people, places and perspectives from beyond the big cities. Hundreds of millions of years before the dinosaurs, long before giant wombats and kangaroos walked the continent, the world was ruled by fish. The Devonian period, as this era is known, was when fish began to walk on land. And we know all this from studying fossils. It's a key chapter in the history of life, and there's still more to learn. Canoundra is a town in central western New South Wales, less than an hour's drive from Orange. It's famous for the massive number of Devonian-era fish fossils found there. David Attenborough called the find world-class because the fossils are so well-preserved. But it's been nearly 30 years since paleontologist Dr Alex Ritchie was given just 10 days for an exploratory dig. He uncovered thousands of fish fossils, which helped fill gaps in our knowledge. But with limited time and resources, he could only scratch the surface. A museum was built in town to display the find, but Dr Ritchie always dreamed of opening up the dig site again. The parcel of land near where the dig took place was recently sold. Who it was sold to could mean the difference between realising Dr Ritchie's dream or the fossils being forgotten forever. Voice of Real Australia producer Laura Corrigan went to Canoundra to learn more. So is there any, like, fossils in among these rocks? Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. That's still got fossils in it. Unbeknownst to people, a couple of bits of fossil left. Do, do you know what that is? Yes, yeah, it's part of uh, Bothralipus. Wow. Placoderm, one of the armor-plated critters. There's another one here on this particular slab. See, there's, there's the internal part of the Bothralipus. Just there. Yeah. Alex Ritchie would have said they're insignificant, you know, you wouldn't know unless you knew. And, but as you can see, the size of the rocks, you wouldn't want to put them in your wheelbarrow. Canoundra <laughs> no. local Bruce Looms is showing me around the original fossil site. It's a narrow stretch between a public road and the boundary fence of a private paddock. Today, it just looks like some scattered sandstone rock slabs on a mound overgrown with tall grasses. If there wasn't a sign to mark the spot, you'd just drive straight past it. It's about three, about three and a half metres. The first fish fossil slab was found here by chance in the 1950s by a road worker. He didn't know what it was but put it aside up against a rock. It was later spotted by a beekeeper, Bill Simpson, who had a better idea of its value. The 1956 slab, as it was called, went to the Australian Museum in Sydney. Back in 56, when this all happened, I was in first year here in school, and uh, we had the local doctor, Dr Knight, who did a plaster cast of the actual fish. And it was on a block of plaster of Paris, and it was used at the headmaster's doorstop. And when we got into strife, of course, we used to give it a kick, you know, something like that. So uh, we knew about it, but nothing was ever really done about it. Many years passed before Canoundra could get the attention of the scientific community again. Finally, in the early 1990s, Scottish paleontologist Dr Alex Ritchie made plans with locals for an exploratory dig where the 1956 lab had been found. Dr Ritchie worked for the Australian Museum and had an interest in Devonian fish. Bruce Looms was made foreman because he knew the area and the community, and plans were made to dig in July 1993. Can't leave my boots on. <laughs> I won't tell. Back at his house, Bruce shows me photos from the 93 dig. They managed to get an excavator to work for free for 10 days and the community rallied to help in any way that they could. And everybody chipped in, it was all freebies, you know, and everybody in town, you know, really got behind it. And there's too many names to really mention and, and give thanks to, but everybody just got behind it. 
and it was a fantastic thing. And then we said, you know, the main goal is now we've got to have a museum. You know, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? So it's sort of like normal happens. It dies in limbo again for a while. Local eateries provided pies and sausage rolls. A passerby with a trailer was recruited to move slabs. The local hardware store donated wood, the fire brigade supplied water, and the local high school students helped clean and prepare the excavated rocks. Angela Bream was in year 10 when her school, St Edward's Catholic School, got involved with the dig. I was very ill with the flu over that week, but my parents certainly encouraged me to go out. It was an opportunity not to be missed to have Dr Ritchie out there on site and for us children to be able to head out and assist. In today's world, I probably wouldn't have been allowed anywhere near anybody. I was laid up in a nice big geyser bone to keep me dry and warm out on site. Despite having the flu and tonsillitis, Angela was eager to take part, as were the rest of her peers. I think any day away from the classroom is a good day. We really did enjoy getting out and about. From memory, we were actually in and around the slab, so being very careful not to damage the fossil in situ, but working on and just having Dr Ritchie tell us what we were looking at and the features. Angela now lives in Humpty Doo in the Northern Territory. She kept up her interest in science during university and her early career. I am, I guess, a self-professed science nerd. I encourage my children to do experiments on their holidays. I was the one with the chemistry kit. I followed that through into my senior years of school and science was certainly a theme through my university years. So I wasn't interested, I guess, in paleontology or fossils, but certainly they do still hold a dear place in my heart and I do enjoy showing my children where the fossil came from and taking them through the Age of Fists Museum. Aside from the high school students, fossil enthusiasts could actually pay to help with the slabs. Monica Young of Gondwana Dreaming Tours organised the manpower. They paid for the privilege of working with Alex and that money was simply used to cover costs for the weekend and everything else went to Alex for the research grant and also $30 per person went to the Age of Fishes Museum building fund because we didn't have a museum then. And I must admit, sometimes it got a bit tiring to go up there every month, sometimes twice a month. But inevitably, whenever we ended up coming together in, on Friday night at the pub and Alex arrived, all these sorts of, oh, I'm tired of this, thoughts just disappeared because Alex has so much enthusiasm. Monica had approached Dr Ritchie early on with the concept of turning the dig into a tourist attraction, but he'd basically brushed her off. Sometime later, he gave a talk at the Dinosaur Museum about the dig. People at the end of his talk said, look, we'd like to get involved. We'd like to help. Alex hadn't spoken to me about helping him or anything. But that evening, he just said to these people, go and talk to Monica. She'll organize you. Yes, I was thrown this huge ball. I caught it and thought, now what I'm going to do with it? So that's how I got involved with Alex and organising digs. Monica says she started the geological tour company because she dedicates her life to getting people interested in science. When I was working for the Bureau of Mineral Resources, I was involved with a group called Women in Science. And we used to go to schools and try and tell, especially the girls, that being in science is not a boy's job. 
being in science is not just sitting in a lab in a white coat and having a beard, but being in science is actually exciting. And especially geology is something that you can touch. It's, it's, yeah, it's a science that you can immerse yourself in every day, basically, when you're outdoors. And so I got quite excited about seeing the kids getting excited. And so I suppose it just became indirectly my mission to enthuse people in geology. 80 tonnes of fossil slabs were pulled from the ground and moved on pallets to a nearby paddock where students and tourists sorted, cleaned and prepared them. Bruce looms again. As we got them out of the ground, Freddie Fewing's a Cato driver, he could part your hair with that machine and uh, he used to just place them on the pallets and we'd numbered the pallets with the slabs that went on them. And, of course, we had them sitting in the paddock and we used paint not waterproof. And of course we had rain one night overnight and it washed all the numbers off the pallets. So we sort of, you know, back to square one again. Bruce and Dr Ritchie were cowboys. They used their wit and charm to get things done. They discreetly dug under the public road when they couldn't wait for the slow crawl of council bureaucracy. Bruce recalls the council's engineer, Don Dean, coming to the site after they'd already helped themselves. And he said, oh, well, I'll have the paperwork for you tomorrow. And I said, oh, that'll be good. And he stood there really, you know, he had his elbow in his hand smoking and he stood there in real deep thought. I had to turn away. I was busting. And uh, Alex sort of looked at me and I sort of winked at him and tell him to clear out. And Deanie's in. I couldn't hold it anymore. And he just come around and he looked at me. Oh, you bastards. I don't want to know anything about it. So <laughs> we'd already done it. Bruce Looms wasn't impressed when Dr Ritchie tried to name a fish after him and the local council, Cabon Council. Cabinistius Loomsi, and I'm thinking to myself now, Cabinistius Loomsi, Cabon. I thought, bugger me, Cabon, I hate council. I'm going to be mortalised with council for the rest of my life. <laughs> so I went back to Alex and I said to him, you know, and they said, oh, you're an ungrateful bugger. You know, and I said, oh, well, I could sooner not give it to somebody else. Anyway, two or three days later, and they come back to me and they said, oh, no, we've changed it for you. We're going to call your fish. We've picked it out. He's a real toothy-looking critter. He's rare and he's got an undershot jaw and he looks like he's like you are. You speak the way you see it and you're pretty snappy. He said, we're going to call it Goolagongia Loomsi, Goolagong after the town. And I said, oh, well, that sounds good. And I never really ever thought much more about it until sometime, you know, later on. And then I reckon, oh, well, I'm pretty privileged to... One of the greatest finds at the site was a fossil of the Greenland aspis. Dr Ritchie had also found this 50-centimetre armoured fish during an expedition in Antarctica. It's also been found in Greenland. Finding the fish in Australia proved the continents were once joined together. Monica remembers Dr Ritchie's excitement when it was found. He suddenly started to jump around and it happened to be in the spot where I'd been told there was a big brown snake and he was yelling and screaming. And when he gets excited in his Scottish accent, you just can't understand what he's saying. And I kept trying to tell him to sit down because I thought he'd been bitten. He just wouldn't settle. He raced to his car and he got a, a model of a fish that he had made out of cardboard. And he plonked it into one of the slabs that had been uncovered. And it was a sort of perfect match. So then nothing to do with snake bite, nothing to do with any danger. He just was so excited that we couldn't understand what he was saying. 
4,000 fish were uncovered. The site had been an ancient billabong where freshwater fish all along the food chain died and became buried in sediment quickly, leaving them very well preserved. In the billabong are armoured fish, fish with lungs that breathe air, fish with five-finger limbs, fish with an extra bone in their spine so they can lift their heads out of the water. It's an important snapshot of the evolution of life. These fish were getting ready to get out of the water. Maybe some of them did. And all that in just 10 days with few resources. At the end of their time, Dr. Ritchie lay a plastic sheet over one of the most complete fish fossils ever found, then reburied it under hay and soil for a future date that never came. It's believed there's a lot more to be found under Canoundra, which has been ignored for decades. Hi, Dr. Ritchie. Yeah. Hey, Tom. Host Tom Melville visited Dr. Alex Ritchie and his daughter Shona at their house in Canberra. And that's as big as is this? Is this you here? That's me. Yeah. Oh yeah. There you go. So this. I was just sitting there for skill. <laughs> yeah, the fish is about as big as you. Are. Dr. Ritchie is 85 years old and now lives with dementia. He can be a bit difficult to understand, but his famous enthusiasm still shines through. There was a lot of the big fish, and they were nearly all complete. There's no other place in the world I know where these things are present in that in an accessible. Not just a couple, but... Oh, no. There's probably hundreds. Yeah. What this shows, is, is, as far as we dug, it shows only half of the 200 fossil fish slabs we recovered from the site. Mm. And every slab had fish in it. I mean, when you started, you got a sense of the importance of this site. How did that feel? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to find the, you know, a slab covered in fish, but they discover there's another a few hundred of them. <laughs> it became my main project in life. It's, I still think it's one of the greatest fossil sites of its kind anywhere in the world, but it's been sort of ignored or laughed at. Shona Ritchie says having a paleontologist for a dad made for an interesting childhood. My friends' fathers were like accountants and lawyers and stuff like that, and I had this crazy scientist. <laughs> he wore short socks and sandals back in the 70s. He dug strange things. In the and, yeah, place. it was always bringing back strange things, and our house well, still is, as you can see, surrounded by strange bits of fossils and stuff. Over the years, it's been Dr Ritchie's dream to open up the original dig site and make it available as an open-air museum and research facility so that the fossils still waiting to be found can be unearthed and everyone can share in the discoveries. What they should have done to give it to the nation and then put a roof this, put a gate in it, and then charge entry for people to come in and see the thing undercover, protected forever. And there's not many places you can go and see a whole sea of fishes, 300, 400 million years old. Uh, that's what we have here, lying where they, they died. What they, they should do is just turn it into an on-site attraction. You could take every one of these slabs out and put them in a museum, and that's what you'll see in the museum. The best ones are, but if they left it there and roofed it, people would come in busloads. Shona wants to see her dad's dream come true. The whole bottom layer is still there, 
the top layer's been exposed and dealt with. And Dad's vision for the um, the site is that it becomes a working open site where paleontologists are working away excavating the bottom layers and viewers to the um, museum can watch them at work. She's big hairy teeth. Yeah. <laughs> so um, doing cast makes brings it sort of to life, the um, fossils. I visited the Age of Fishes Museum in Canoundra. It's a fairly small museum attached to the visitor's centre, but it has plans for expansion. It's one of only two Devonian museums in the world and a major educational and tourist attraction for the region. Museum manager Anne Clark shows me around. Well, our fossils are incredibly important. They are 360 million years old. So, for example, dinosaurs are about 150, 200. These were some of the first animals uh, we have fossil record of. One of our fish, the Greenland Aspis, has been found in Canoundra, Greenland and Antarctica, thus proving that the continents were once joined together. Our fish were the first animals to move from the water to the land on Earth. They had uh, five fingers and their fins, lungs and gills in the one body and armour plating. David Attenborough actually visited the museum in 2013 and described them as world-class because we had a whole freshwater billabong perfectly preserved. One of our, our big fellas, I call him Mr Fairfaxi, he's the New South Wales state fossil emblem. Our fish also proved our hips developed much earlier than first believed in history. Dr Ritchie also believed that the first tetrapod in the southern hemisphere can be found at that billabong and that's why he's been trying to reopen the site. There's a few slabs on display, but the majority of the 80 tonnes are stored in a temperature-controlled warehouse. But they'd only been moved there in 2019. Before that, these world-class fossils were just stored under the grandstand at Canoundra Showground, further evidence of the neglect of this historic find. The fossils were gifted to the Australian Museum by Cabong Council two years ago. And last year, the Sydney Museum made 3D scans of every single slab. These slabs are now available to scientists across the globe for the first time. It's a lovely one because you can see, it shows you the ripples from the billabong. Yeah. Even they are perfectly preserved, so... Anne's excitement for the fossils is obvious. The former science teacher hadn't been involved in the original dig, but she's certainly determined to facilitate any in the future. I ask her why she thinks so little has been done over the past 30 years to tap into what lies beneath. Many reasons. I don't think we've valued science as much as we should have in Australia. We, it really hasn't had the recognition that it should have, full stop. And now everybody wants a vaccine. I think people are saying, oh, yes, science is slightly important. So I think that's the big one. Um, and also, you know, in regional areas, there's been, you've got a smaller population and money has to be spread further. And, you know, infrastructure such as water supply has been always been a big issue. So there's many reasons. But I think people are starting to realise that tourism is a big industry in itself now. The best thing that for us has been the borders have been shut. Because <laughs> people are going, oh, there is a world outside the Blue Mountains and are coming out to see their own country, which is wonderful, and investing in their own country. So I think, great, please do that. The original dig site is in an awkward position. It's basically a nature strip between a road and a private property. Diverting the road would not only be expensive, but where do you divert it? You need cooperation from the landowners nearby. Then there's the private property itself. Dr Ritchie had been constrained by its boundary fence. The then-owners gave little thought to the site. It was just a rocky outcrop in their paddock. 
Their interests lay elsewhere, understandably, in their agricultural livelihood. But just two days before my visit to Canoundra, that land, a property of 100 hectares on Fish Fossil Drive, was sold. When the land was put up for sale, it made fossil lovers anxious. But I tracked down the new buyer and I'm certain his plans would thrill them. David, Canoundra's for sale. And I nearly fell off my chair and said, what are you talking about, Canoundra's for sale? You know, the fossil dig is up for sale. So I immediately rang up the agent and we were there next day and we were walking over the block and uh, and said, yeah, we want to buy it. We're still delighted and uh, settling in on the idea that we actually own the block. Dr David McGrath is a medical doctor based in Canberra. He bought the Canoundra property and he bought it specifically because he loves fossils. Yeah, I'm interested because the story of life is so interesting. And and here's a, a page or a chapter in the story of life. And it's a really important chapter in that all these things were happening. In fish, we developed the head, the ears, the eyes, the nose were all developed as fish. And the brain structure was developing as fish. You know, we were getting really complicated brains. And then the four limbs, you know, so we could walk onto the land and that developed. And the lungs, you know, so we could breathe air on land. This all happened in this period. It's a fabulous fossil site for that, for the period of time, the chapter. Uh, but in addition, I can't believe it's you know, just slightly west of Sydney, a major metropolis in, in Australia. It's so close to everything, whereas the other great fossil sites in Australia are like miles from nowhere. You've got to go to Riversley right up there in the Northern Territory or Narracourt in South Australia or Ediacara in South Australia. These are fairly remote. But here, this is just on the doorsteps of Sydney, and here it is, a major fossil site. So, yeah, I think Australians need to be slightly more aware that that fish are really interesting. (laughs) A lot of things happening in this period with fish. As I retire from medicine, this is a fantastic thing to do and just contribute to this bit of science. David had visited Canoundra with his son on one of Monica's tours in 1993. He'd met Dr Ritchie and heard his dream. He's already been in talks with the Canoundra Museum and community. My plan is to move this site forward for educational purposes. This is a major fossil location in Australia. It's right up there with major fossil finds in the world, actually. Yet its educational value has not been properly explored. Uh, We have the Age of Fishes Museum, which is doing a good job. But I think we need to go back to the original site and open it up now for the full scientific value. This site has got fabulously well-preserved fossils. And we hope that we, we might find f- uh, fossil plants and, and further fish and even possibly the first amphibians. So it's very exciting for us to reopen up the site. Uh, and we, we'll be doing that in cooperation with the Australian Museum and the Age of Fishes Museum and, and, and the local council. And we want to develop the whole thing for the world, actually. Australia as a national gem and the world as a uh, piece of world history. Monica's tours, which helped fund the construction of the Age of Fishes Museum, proved that there's interest in these kinds of tourist attractions. It's not just geologists and paleontologists that would benefit from digging deeper. What Dr Ritchie found in just 10 days contributed so much to science. Imagine what the reopening of the site could offer. Perhaps we'd find the first tetrapod in the southern hemisphere, the walking fish, as Dr Ritchie and many others predict, and further map out our understanding of the evolution of life. What kind, of fish, what kind of fish is it? After 30 years of stagnation, Dr Ritchie's vision seems to be just around the corner. 
My dad has friends who name dinosaurs after their children. My brother and I have nothing named after us. <laughs> Tom met with Shona and Dr Alex Ritchie again on a rainy day in Canberra to tell them the hopeful news. And this new guy has bought it. Uh-huh. He's from Canberra. Uh-huh. He was there right at the beginning when you were uncovering the fossils. Okay. Yeah. So he's bought it and he's going to do what your vision was. Okay. I hope we'll have long enough to see it. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he loved the place and thought, why isn't this one yeah. of the most famous interesting wow. kind in the world? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah well, this is why I said. I can't wait to talk to this man. He's made an old man's end of days very happy. (laughs) That's Shona Ritchie and her dad Alex there, excited about what may soon be uncovered at Canoundra's famous fossil site. And that's it for this episode of Voice of Real Australia. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. If you like the podcast, please share it with friends and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to share your story, email voice at ostcommunitymedia.com.au. That's voice at ost, A-U-S-T, communitymedia.com.au. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash voiceofrealaustralia. Voice of Real Australia is recorded in the studios of the Newcastle Herald. It's produced by Lara Corrigan and me, your host, Tom Melville. You can follow me on Twitter at TomMelville124. Our editors are Gail Tomlinson and Chad Watson. Special thanks this week go to Jason Soderblom, Ian Robertson and Colin Pryor. This is an ACM podcast. <laughs>